Welcome to the Sunset Community Church podcast. You're listening to sermon audio from our Sunday morning services. For more information about Sunset Community Church, visit us online at sunsetcommunity.church. As the kids go out, you can always uh, take a moment and pray for them as they hear from the, the word of the Lord in their classes. You can pray for their teachers as well, uh, who invest so much time in, in them, and we're so grateful for them as well. Um, if this is your first time with us, my name is Andrew. I'm one of the pastors here, and we're g- I'm glad you're here. We're going to open up God's Word together this morning. We've been walking through the Gospel of Mark. Uh, there are four accounts of Jesus' life, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all given from a little bit different angle, a little bit different facet of Jesus' life. And so we've been walking through this book together, kind of asking three questions. Number one, who is Jesus, based on what the Gospel uh, uh, records? What does it mean for us today to follow Jesus? He's not here like he was then. And then as believers, we believe it's important to tell people about Jesus. So when we do that, what are we inviting people into? Um, what, what is this all about, this Christian faith? Uh, you know, the, the Bible's divided into kind of two sections, right? The Old Testament and the New Testament. Uh, I think another uh, word that we could substitute for that that would still be accurate would be Old Covenant and New Covenant. You know what a covenant is, right? It's a, it's a promise. It's an agreement. It's like uh, something me and Andy would do when we shake our hands. And we go, okay, Andy, you're going to do this thing. I'm going to do this thing. Bank yeah. on it, right? All right, we're yeah. good. <laughs> so Old Covenant and New Covenant is really how the, the, the Bible is divided. In, in, the old tev- in Old Covenant, the Old Testament as we call it, um, God makes a covenant with his people, Israel, that through Israel, all nations on the earth would be blessed. And a covenant, again, is this, this two-way agreement. So God says to the people, uh, on your end of the covenant, I want you to live like my people. I'm going to do this thing but you also have a part to play. And so God gives his people, Israel, he gives them moral and ceremonial laws to follow that distinguish them, the, the nation of Israel, from all the other nations on earth at that point. Oftentimes when we think of Israel, we think that they, they were this people group in an island, but they were surrounded by different cultures and tribes and nations. And so God gives them these Moral commands and these ceremonial commands. The, the moral laws are, are to reflect the holiness and the purity of God himself. And so in that way, Israel was a, like, like a light to the nations, reflecting the holiness of God himself. We see this reflected in the commandments like the Ten Commandments. The ceremonial laws were meant to make the people of Israel culturally and religiously distinct from the people around them. And so God said, don't eat certain things, don't touch certain things, don't do certain things to differentiate them from the people around them. And so both the moral and the ceremonial laws of God are a sign of this covenant between God and his people. But what makes a promise a promise is that it ends up with a delivery, right? So think about it this way. Um, If you get straight A's, maybe your parents told you, if you get straight A's, then you get to go to Wild Waves this summer, right? That was a promise that the parents made, but you have to do something, right? There's a covenant. There's an agreement. 
Uh, or maybe if, in your work, if you meet certain sales goals, that at the end of the, the fiscal year, you're going to get a bonus. Uh, I actually know somebody recently, they got a trip because of, of something like that. So, so God makes a promise to Israel. He makes this covenant to Israel. And the delivery, the, the, the fulfillment of the promise was Jesus. That was the fulfillment of the promise. And so this is how our, our Bible is divided between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant, the Old Testament and the New Testament. And so I share this because as we look at our passage today in, in Mark chapter 7, this is what Jesus is stepping into culturally. He's stepping into the nation of Israel that had been given this promise that for hundreds and hundreds of years had been doing their best to, to both practice the moral and the ceremonial laws that God had given their people. But Jesus' arrival was the fulfillment of that promise. And with his arrival, there would then be given a new promise, a new covenant. So when Jesus steps in with this new covenant, it means that a lot of religious paradigms and traditions that have been passed down from generation to generation, they were about to get flipped on their head. They're about to get changed. And so that's the context for our scripture this morning. The message title would be True Holiness. True Holiness. I encourage you, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open to Mark chapter 7, verses 1 through 13. Mark chapter 7, verse 1 through 13. If you don't have a Bible, there are some in the pews in front of you. You can also easily download one. Uh, there's a bunch of great free Bible apps. There's really no excuse not to have a Bible these days. Mark chapter 7, verses 1 through 13. And we'll just go ahead and read that together. I'm reading out of the New International Version. Mark chapter 7, verses 1 says this. The Pharisees... And some of the teachers of the law, think moral, ceremonial law, had come from Jerusalem, gathered around Jesus, and saw some of his disciples eating food with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. The Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing, holding to the tradition of the elders. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash, and they observe many other traditions, such as the washing of cups, pitchers, and kettles. So the Pharisees and teachers of the law asked Jesus, why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating their food with defiled hands? He replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites, as it is written, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. Jesus goes on. You have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to human traditions. And he continued. You have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. For Moses said, honor your father and mother. And anyone who curses their father or mother is to be put to death. But you say that if anyone declares that what might have been used to help their father or mother is Corbin, that is, devoted to God, then you no longer let them do anything for their father and mother. Thus you nullify the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down, and you do many things like that. Let me pray this morning as we continue in God's word. Father, this morning what we really need to know is who you are. We need to know about your love and your grace, but we also need to know about what it means to follow you 
in the year 2022? How do we, how do we hold on to the truths of your scripture in a world that is opposed to your ways? How do we not take on extra things, Lord God, that would cloud our judgment and our sight from seeing you clearly and from knowing what it means to follow you in a world that is opposed to that? Lord, in this post-truth culture, we need real truth, something to put our feet on, something to build our life on. And so this morning, Jesus, I pray that we would hear your truth, the timeless truth that has been preserved for us in your word. God, that you would free us, that you would empower us, and you would lead us, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen. So I've been a part of a, a wide range of church expressions. I, I grew up in a, a very Pentecostal, charismatic church. If you don't know what that means, it means there was a lot of energy in the building on Sundays. There, and I loved it. Yeah, it was good. Uh, there was people that would, that would share words that they felt like God had impressed on their heart. Uh, there was people that would be speaking and praying in tongues. Uh, there was all kinds of stuff that was going on. And then I've been a part of, of churches that were scared of the Holy Spirit. Uh, they, they would typically say Father, Son, and Holy Bible because those charismatics, those Pentecostals, man, they were too weird for them. And so we're just going to read the word and we're going to kind of chill out and that's what we're going to focus on. And in, in every kind of church expression in church culture, there were things that were beautiful, that were, that were completely tethered to scripture, and then there were things that weren't. There were man-made traditions and ideas. And not everything was bad, but sometimes what happens in church is we take things that maybe originally they had a, there was a good heart or a good reason for these traditions to be brought into the church. But over time, if this is the gospel, which is the most important thing, these other things start to creep up. And they be, get as important as the gospel. And sometimes they even overshadow the true nature of the gospel. And in a sense, this is what we're seeing in this interaction with Jesus and the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. The Pharisees were the religious leaders of the day. They knew the law of God better than anybody else. And from passed down from generation to generation, they prided themselves as the keeper of the law, of the decider if anybody else was keeping the law. They took that mantle upon themselves. But like any of us, over time, things that seem to be gospel importance aren't, and they become uh, uh, more important than the gospel in these traditions. And so the Pharisees, what had happened here is there's really kind of two issues we see in Jesus' interaction with them. Um, the first issue is the Pharisees had created their own traditions separate from the Bible. Uh, there, these are original ones that they had created. And they had made them equal with what God himself had spoken. Now, clearly what we see here is the, the Pharisees, they had shown up where Jesus and his disciples were, and they were watching him. They were watching his disciples, and the only thing that they could find wrong with what they were doing was what? They weren't washing their hands. <laughs> they said, hey, why aren't your disciples washing their hands before you eat? Now, most of us parents would say, yeah, why aren't they, right? Like, you teach your kids to wash their hands. And we get kind of like a little side note in Mark's gospel. He kind of, the, in, what's in parentheses there is a little bit of commentary for those of us that aren't Jewish in the first century, right, to understand where this idea came from. It didn't come from the Bible. There's no Old Testament, even ceremonial command to do this. So clearly, the, the religious leaders are being petty. 
They're looking for something to, to, to point to, undermine Jesus and his disciples' authority. So Jesus is fed up with this. And this isn't the first time the religious leaders have been trying to undermine who Jesus was. So he calls out their traditions for what they are. In fact, he quotes Isaiah and he says, you are being a bunch of hypocrites. And ultimately what he points out to them is they are promoting really what amounts to empty religion. Empty religion. Now, sometimes we say the word traditional as if it's bad. But that's not true, right? Like traditions in and of themselves uh, can be good, can be helpful, can be fun, can be comforting, can be centering. Not all traditions are bad. Now, some of you, um, maybe like our family, one of the traditions at your house is that whenever you get to the house, you take your shoes off before you come inside, right? That's a tradition uh, in our house. Is that a good tradition or a bad tradition? No, not necessarily either one. It's just a tradition that we have in our house. Maybe it keeps the floor a little cleaner, right? Not neither, neither good nor bad. Um, some of you grew up in a church where the religious tradition in your church was you dressed up before you came to worship. You actually had church clothes. Clearly, I don't, right? Um, <laughs> legitimately, wasn't part of my church tradition, but I know for some folks it was. Is that a good tradition or a bad tradition? It's neither. And we have folks in our church, there's a wide range of traditions. Some of you dress much nicer than the pastor does uh, on Sunday. And some of you just rolled out of bed this morning. I could, no, just, I'm not going to point anybody out. <laughs> so traditions in and of themselves are not always bad. The problem here, though, is that the Pharisees were creating traditions and enforcing them in such a way that they had equal weight as the very words of God. So if you have elevated a tradition in that way, especially in your religious faith, it becomes toxic. But this is really easy to fall into because it is so much easier for us in our church, in our Christian lives, to focus on outward actions. It's easier for us to judge somebody by the clothes that they wear or the things they're involved with than actually knowing their heart. And so churches fall into this trap where they make man-made traditions. Whether you're a Pentecostal church or whether you're a conservative Baptist church, we create things that are not tethered to Scripture, but we make them equal to Scripture. This is easy to fall into. So Jesus steps into this culture. This is the religious culture of the day. And he wants none of that. And so he says, basically, essentially, he goes, you want to talk about hand washing? How about we talk about the fifth commandment? And so he goes to the command, honor your father and your mother. And he quotes what would have been very well known by the Pharisees, Isaiah 29, 13. And he says, these hypocrites, they're you. These laws that you've been holding and teaching, these are about you. Oh, he's dropping it right there. And now he demonstrates in front of everybody how these same religious leaders have actually created a tradition that acts like some sort of tax loophole, allowing them to dance around the actual commands of God. And we all do this. We nod and smile to the scriptures until they say something we don't agree with. 
until they pinpoint something in our lives that demands change, that demands obedience, that pushes us into holiness. And so here's what they've done here. The fifth commandment is what? Honor your father and your mother. They've created a tradition. In their culture, now their culture, unlike a lot of American culture, is the way that you honor your parents is when they get to of age, you support them. You help them financially. They move back into the house with you. Whatever it takes, the honoring of your parents in that culture was you continue to support them until the very end of their days. That costs some money, right? It takes some resources. And so what the Pharisees have done, they've said, hey, we've also got this other tradition that we do where we take a portion of our income, of our wealth, and we dedicate that to God. And so if it comes to supporting our parents or or taking this money and dedicating it to God, well, sorry, parents, you lose out. They've created an extra tradition. And ultimately what they've done is they've, it's essentially like putting in a savings account, saying we can't touch that, sorry, parents. And they may never actually even give it to God. They're just using it as an excuse. So Jesus is saying, you're caring about hand washing when you are acting like this? How dare you? How dare you? Empty religion. Empty religion. And then the second issue that Jesus has with them, as identified in Isaiah, is hypocrisy. And so Jesus, in unpacking their own evil tradition with this idea of Corbin, he says, by doing this, you nullify the word of God by your own tradition that you've handed down. And you do many things like that. Now imagine at that point the Pharisees kind of, they tapped out and they they scooted quick because Jesus has already called them on one thing. How many other things is he then going to unpack in front of all the people? But what Jesus is saying here is so important for us today to understand too, that this type of empty religion, this type of hypocrisy, it effectively cancels out the word of God and puts in its place human rules. Jesus is saying, you have exchanged a life-giving way to live with an empty religiosity. You're being a hypocrite. Now, you're familiar with the word hypocrite. It means basically acting one way in one situation and another way in another situation. And the, the origin of this word actually is from Jesus' time. In Greek theater, you would often have one actor playing multiple roles and imagine in a theater where there's no cameras, there's no screens. And so from a distance, you have to be able to see the expressions on the actors' faces to know what character they were in in that moment. And so what they would do is they would use masks to indicate the mood and the role that they were playing in that moment. That's where the, the root word of hypocrisy comes in, putting on a mask to play a certain character in a certain role. I was really good at this when I was in high school. I'd grown up in the church. My dad was a worship leader in the church. My, my uncle was the pastor. It was like a family church, right? And I learned how on Sunday, I would talk and act a certain way. On Wednesday, with youth group, I would talk and act a certain way. But then on my baseball team in high school, in my classes at high school, a different mask would come on. somehow I was able to use completely different language with my friends than what I used with my parents. I was a good hypocrite. I was a good actor. 
no matter the scene I was in. And so this is not an ancient issue. When we look at the Pharisees, we go, ha ha, look at you. No, it's us too. We do the same thing. And I've seen this same type of pharisaical behavior in the church many times, in myself and in others. And it is toxic and it is empty. And this type of behavior, whether it's empty traditions or hypocrisy, is what makes a watching world discredit the gospel. Because they say, what use is it? What use is it? I've seen traditions as petty as hand washing in the church. I've seen people fight over the type of Bible translation they use. King James only. If it was good enough for Paul, it was good enough for me. Just so you know, Paul didn't read from the King James, right? I've seen people get up in arms about the idea of swapping out pews for chairs, as if there is something holy about a pew. There is something uncomfortable about it, we can say that. So I've seen petty traditions become elevated in the church. I've also seen not petty traditions. I've seen cultural images in the church that are demonic, as demonic as disregarding the fifth commandment. I've seen segregation in churches. I've seen demeaning prejudice toward women in churches. These are toxic. And they're exactly what Jesus was getting at when he talked with the Pharisees. So Jesus is getting pretty worked up about this empty religious behavior, and rightly so because here Jesus is. He is the fulfillment of the covenant that these religious people should know about. It's what they've been anticipating and waiting for. And instead of seeing that, they're focused on upholding this empty religiosity, trying to make moral issues out of things that have nothing to do with morality. And this type of religiosity that is uh, an offense to the good news of Jesus and his new covenant that he's trying to bring in. But before we all say, yeah, those people, Jesus is about to take this conversation started with the Pharisees, and he's about to expand it a little bit. And we see this in verse 14. If you have your Bible still open, you can turn to there. The next audience after the Pharisees is the people that had gathered to hear Jesus teach, the crowd. Verse 14 says, Again, Jesus called the crowd to him and said, Listen to me, everyone, and understand this. Nothing outside a person can defile them by going into them. Rather, it is what comes out of a person that defiles them. Now, we might miss the context of this a little bit, but if you understood Jewish culture and some of those laws, there was foods that Jews were not supposed to eat. They were considered Unclean. So this is not a, a health statement, but a, a holiness statement. Jesus is saying, those things don't make you impure. And then he continues to expand the audience in verse 17. After he leaves the crowd, he's entered the house. His disciples asked him about this parable. And Jesus responds, are you so dull? Don't you see that nothing that enters a person from the outside can defile them? For it doesn't go into their heart, but into their stomachs and then out of their body. And we get a little another editorial here. In saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. 
Jesus is saying, are you so dull? Literally, do you still not understand what is happening in front of you? Who I am and this new thing that is happening, this fulfillment of the covenant. Nothing food-wise is off limits anymore. And essentially what he's also doing here is he's making a statement of division. That the Jews that had once kept themselves pure by not associating with any un-Jews, now those boundaries are being erased. All people are being invited into this new thing that Jesus is doing. Jesus is doing a new thing. Matthew chapter 5, verse 17 records Jesus' words where he says, Do not think I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. This covenant is coming to an end. Romans 10, verse 4 says this, For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. In other words, your standing before God is now not based on the things that you do, but on who Jesus is and what he's done. So this is the good news that Jesus is bringing to these people that have been holding on to empty religion and man-made traditions. Now, the challenge is when you start rolling back some long-held traditions, uh, some folks might start getting a little bit too loose, right? Hey, what is this? Freedom? We can do whatever we want, can't we? No truth, everything, my truth, your truth. Man, doesn't that sound so postmodern, right? Whatever you feel like. Woohoo, look what Jesus said. Well, Jesus doesn't stop there. He wants to, to remind the, his disciples what this all is all about. Ultimately, the issue with the Pharisees was their hypocrisy. They would elevate certain traditions and find ways around others. Here's something I find interesting, though. Sometimes when we hear words like what Jesus said, we get pretty excited to celebrate deconstruction. Uh, somebody says a new word and you go, oh, I've never seen it that way before. Bam, I can throw off everything in the past and do what I want. But listen carefully. Jesus is not diminishing the call to holiness. He is not throwing out the moral laws of God and now saying, you do you, whatever you feel like in the moment, go for it. Jesus actually reaffirms that call to holiness. He says this, he went on, what comes out of a person is what defiles them. So it's not about food anymore. For it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. And then he gives a list. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside and defile a person. So Jesus is separating the ceremonial laws and the moral laws. And he's saying these are still in effect. These are still evil. They still lead to destruction and to brokenness. These, these evil thoughts that produce these evil deeds are what makes you and me evil. So if the disciples and the crowd had any inkling that they were now just going to be able to do whatever they wanted, that was checked really quick by Jesus. And throughout all of the Gospels, and Mark is no exception, we see that Jesus is more concerned about addressing issues of the heart than he is about issues of outward behavior. 
And the reason? Well, it's simple. Outward behavior is always a reflection of the heart. It was unbelievable to me this last week uh, that Vladimir Putin had a, a rally celebrating the annexation of Crimea in 2014. And at that rally, he actually quoted scripture. Greater love has no one than he would lay down his life for a brother. Putin quoted Jesus. Wow, he enacts an unjust war where almost four million women and children have had to flee their country. Thousands of others have died. Putin quoted Jesus. Sit on that for a minute. We can say a lot of things. We can do a lot of things. But what's in here? What's in here always manifests itself in the real world. The ultimate hypocrisy. The Pharisees at times seem to be doing right things. Seem to be doing religious things. They got the dress down. They can speak the lingo. They've got the customs down pat. This is what religion is supposed to look like, isn't it? But they're hypocrites. Their lips, they honor God with their lips, but their hearts are far from him. They can quote the commands, but they aren't living them out. Jesus wants us to live holy and pure lives. He wants us to live holy and pure lives. But true holiness comes from the inside out. All that empty religion can do is offer you a change of clothes. But Jesus alone can offer you a change of heart. So this is a good moment for us to consider the condition of our hearts. Because I'll tell you what, the last thing I want to do is have a Bible study on Sunday and then have everybody nod their head, walk out, and live the same way. Like that's useless. What we want to do is we want to read God's word and we want to be convicted by it. And we want to say, Lord, change my heart. And so I want to take a moment as we end our time this morning. I want to ask you to be real with yourself and real with God. I want you to think about a few things this morning. The first question I think we should ask is, am I putting on a Christian mask or have I really given my heart to God? What does that mean? The other question we might ask, do my thoughts reflect the holiness that comes from a heart changed by Jesus. Only you know your thoughts. I don't know them. Nobody else knows them. But what you're thinking about, what you're dwelling on, does that reflect the holiness that comes from a heart changed by Jesus? I remember years ago doing an inventory of myself, like, hey, these issues that I had when I was younger, I'm not doing those things anymore. I learned restraint. But you know what? Up here, I was still thinking about them. They, were still, they still had space in my heart and my mind. Do my thoughts reflect the holiness that comes from a heart changed by Jesus? And for those of you that may be conv being convicted right now, you might ask this question. Can my heart really be changed? My mind, my will, emotions, is that possible? Can I have new affections? 
can I really live out the holiness of God as he's asked me to do? I want you to know this morning, the answer to that last one is yes. Yes. Many of these disciples that Jesus said, are you so dull? Many of them would take their doubt and their hard-heartedness and they would be all in for Jesus. They would go to the farthest reaches of the earth. They would give up their very lives to, to share the message of Jesus' new covenant. Later on, a leading Pharisee would become the most famous missionary and church planter, a guy named Paul. So the answer to the last question is, yes, your heart can be changed. The love of God can do supernatural things in the hearts of people who say yes to him. And there's an initial yes of trusting Jesus as your Lord and Savior, but then there's the daily yes of asking him to change your affections, to reorient your will. And he wants to do both of those things. We thank you for the gift of your spirit who is with us. Your word says you'll never leave us nor forsake us, Lord God. Lord, would you be present in our times of joy as much as you're present in our times of trouble, Father. God, may we hold on to this truth, the truth of your promise. You spoke a promise and you fulfilled it, and we hold on now to the second promise, the second covenant, the New Testament, Lord, that you will return again one day. And for those of us that have placed our faith in you, we are secure in that promise this morning. And so, God, as we leave this place, may we be changed by your truth, not Andrew's words, not Sunset Community Church's programs, but by your eternal promise to us as your people. And the church says, amen. You've been listening to sermon audio from Sunset Community Church. Sunset Community Church is located in Renton, Washington. For more information, visit our website at sunsetcommunity.church.